I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. We'll read verses 40 to 43 together. Let's read God's good word together. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The summer going into high school, I had my first job besides mowing lawns, and that was working for my grandpa. He owned um, some gas stations in Norman, and so I worked for him in his office. Um, I helped kind of clean up. I, uh, I learned a lot that summer. I even got to do some cool stuff that, that most people who work at gas stations don't get to do anymore, like changing the numbers on the signs. So there was this really long pole that had a big suction cup, and then you had to get it to stick. I think I spent an hour, and after I still had not successfully changed the price, then that job got delegated to someone else. But I got some great on-the-job experience. I I learned a lot. I learned a little bit about keeping books. Hopefully someone was checking my work on the back end of that. But but it was was a really good job. Well, so I I was enjoying that. You know, I got to spend time with my grandpa, and that was great. But um, as the summer went on, one night, um, it was a weeknight, and um, a friend stayed over at my house, and we stayed up late, and we're just hanging out. And I thought, you know, it's late. I'm going to be super tired tomorrow. I'll just let my grandpa know I'm not coming to work. And, and so I, you know, back, this was, um, I picked up my landline and uh, I called his office number. It was late and so I wasn't going to wake him up. So I just left him a message at the office. I thought I was, you know, being really smart and considerate. And so I called and just said, hey, um, I had a friend over. We're, I'm really tired, so I'm not going to come in tomorrow. Well, that, you know, I hung up and didn't think about it anymore. And I woke up the next morning to my phone ringing and uh, it was my grandpa. And he let me know that whenever you have a job, that's not how it works. And uh, he was very direct. He, he was not unkind. I also really appreciate he did not fire me, which, you know, would not have been out of the question. And, uh, but we had a good conversation, and, and he taught me something that served me well in other jobs later on. And I really appreciated that. You know, if he'd fired me, that would have made Christmas awkward, and so I appreciate that he did not do that. Um, but, but he also didn't, you know, pretend like it was all right whenever it wasn't, because he'd set an expectation for me, and I'd had not met it. And so we had an important conversation that that probably wasn't easy for him. I know it wasn't fun for me, but it was important. And whenever we have those conversations, it can really lead to growth in relationships. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at the courage of candor, how we can have conversations with candor. I guess I should tell you, that's my grandpa. That's not just a random, that's not a stock photo. (laughs) That's my grandpa holding uh, my youngest daughter, Cece. Uh, But uh, yeah, I I appreciate him so much. He's taught me a lot, um, particularly that summer, but throughout my life. Um, But we're talking about the courage of candor this week. Um, I'm Pastor Brandon Blackson, the executive pastor. This is week three of our sermon series. We've been talking about how to live a brave life. And I think if you're anything like me, then this is something that you need. It's been, um, you know, just the last two years that we've lived through have put us in a lot of unexpected situations. And a lot of those have required courage. And I know there are so many of you that have things going on in your lives, um, at work, at home, that, that require you to act 
with courage that require you to be brave. And so that's what we're talking about because all of us need that. And so this is where we've been the last few weeks. Um, on, in week one, Pastor Mark taught us that courage is not the absence of fear. It is the right ordering of fear. And so whenever we're having courage, it's not just that having courage doesn't mean being fearless. It doesn't mean you're not afraid of anything. It just means that you prioritize your fears, that you get your fears into the right order. And so instead of being afraid of being uncomfortable and, and letting that drive, instead of being afraid of letting people down and letting that, it's, it's having them in the right order, being more afraid of doing the wrong thing than of, of hurting your reputation, for example. And so having your fears right ordered, in the right order. And what helps us do that is when we have clarity. When we become clear on what God is asking us to do, our courage can rise because otherwise we're not sure, you know, what do I do? What, what's called for in this situation? What's really the right thing we do? We need that clarity. And we see this in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so um, whenever he was baptized, whenever he started his public ministry, he went straight into the desert, into the wilderness for 40 days, and he fasted and he prayed and he was tempted there. And whenever he emerged from that, whenever he returned to society, he had crystal clear clarity about what his mission was. This is what he said. He quoted from the prophet Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's what drove him. And so whenever, whenever he had to, had to make difficult decisions, whenever he had to decide whether to do things that involve personal risk, he let that clarity guide him. And one of the things we know, though, is whenever we get clear, whenever we're acting with courage, that resistance is also going to rise. And so the way that we can overcome that is through conviction, because conviction assures us that the price we pay is worth it. Whenever we're in situations that demand courage of us, then that there's a cost associated with that, right? I mean, if there's no cost, then you don't have to be brave, right? I mean, whenever I'm deciding what, what I'm going to have for breakfast, there's no courage involved in that, right? Unless I'm thinking about eating the last of something, and then I might have to incur the wrath of someone else in the household. But aside from that, like, there's, there's no courage involved. And it, there's, it's the, the presence of risk that, may, that calls for courage. And so conviction, knowing what is right, having that conviction in our hearts, that sense of, of purpose is what helps us to overcome the resistance. It helps us to know that the cost that we may pay is worth it. And the conviction that comes from God's truth enables us to choose courage over our own comfort, over our own suffering. What, whatever it is that we're risking is conviction that enables us to choose the right thing, even if it may not be the easiest thing. This week, what we're talking about is courage in conversations, courage with our words. And, and at first glance, that may not seem like a, an arena in which we need a lot of courage, right? And whenever you think of courage, you think of people like going into battle, someone, um, you know, suiting up, and, or you think of, um, you know, a football player who's got to go tackle someone who's a lot bigger than them, something like that, you know, these big situations. And yet, some of the hardest conversations to be brave in, or some of the hardest situations to be brave in, are conversations, are in the things that we have to say to one another. And if you've been in a relationship with anyone, whether that's romantic, uh, familial, work relationship, you know that those will come up. And so we have to learn how to do that. Because this is why, this is why, why it matters. What we're talking about is candor, really, that's honesty. And, and this is the way that Tom Berlin um, does it. He wrote the book on courage. That's one of the things that we're basing this sermon off of, this sermon series. But this is what he says. He says, candor is the ability to be open, honest, direct, or frank in speech and conversation. 
And, and so that's what we're talking about. How can, in a, whenever I'm in a relationship with someone and there's a situation in which I need to be direct with them, I need to be honest with them, I need to tell them something that, that may be difficult for them to hear, how can I, how can I do that? That's what candor is. That's, and that's one of the hardest areas for us to practice that. Um, one of the hardest and yet most crucial areas for us to practice courage is with our words. Being able to say the things that we need to say, saying them in the right way, um, not going overboard and also not avoiding, but actually using courage to say the right thing at the right time, practicing candor. Because in any meaningful relationship, an issue will arise that requires us to have a difficult conversation. I mean, that's just the nature of, of being in relationships. If you never have a difficult conversation, then it might be, you know, it might be worth asking, like, why is that? Because it, someone's not asking for what they want. Someone's not being honest because that's, that's what it takes. We have to have those conversations to have real relationships. And so that, that's true at home. It's also true at work. And, um, and it's true in leadership. And, and um, Brene Brown, in some of her research, she was working with leaders of organizations and businesses and asking them, you know, whenever you're trying to be innovative, what are the things that get in the way? And one of the things that was cited was the lack of courage. And, and so they talked about what are the situations where people fail to practice courage. And, and she said there was one barrier to courage that leaders ranked as the greatest concern, avoiding tough conversations, including giving honest, productive feedback. And you know, if, if you supervise people that, you're in a, that to do that well, you have to give open and honest feedback. And you know that if you've been supervised, that that's important and uh, it doesn't feel good whenever it's not done well. Sometimes it doesn't feel good whenever it is done well, but that can particularly really hurt relationships whenever it's not. And of course, that's true in our personal relationships as well. A failure to have these conversations well can erode trust. Um, if we don't tell the whole tr- truth, then people aren't going to trust us in the future. It can also breed resentment, particularly if we avoid saying what we need to say. We just resent people for not reading our minds and being able to do it. And so what candor does for us, it unlocks the power of growth for each person in the relationship and in the relationship as a whole. And so it's really important. I think we know this, but um, there are also some alternatives that are often tempting. That's like, I know I need to have this conversation with them. I know I think what I need to say, but, but instead I'm going to do something else. One of those is keeping silent. Um, and, and this one is actually my personal favorite. It's like, problem, what problem? I don't see anything. I, I'm just looking. I, don't, I can't find it. Oh, uh, try not to look that way. I'd just rather not talk about it. And, and that protects us in the moment because, right, we don't have to deal with it. We don't have to take the risk of having a hard conversation of hurting someone's feelings or saying, you know, hurting our reputation in their eyes or, or potentially harming the relationship. It's easier to avoid it sometimes, but it also ensures that the issue will go unresolved. And so, you know, there's, there's sometimes whenever, you know, it's, it's not worth arguing about. If uh, somebody wants to go to one restaurant and I want to go to another and I got to choose last time, it's probably not worth having a tough conversation about. I need to be really serious with you about we need to go to Mexican food tonight. This may be a hard con- right? I mean, you can just let go. Now, if, if one person always runs over the other, that, that probably does call for a conversation. But, uh, but sometimes keeping silent, you know, is, is helpful, but not always, and particularly whenever we know there's an issue. And so, because if we don't say something, it's not going to get better on its own. Un- unattended problems rarely tend themselves well, right? You all know this. 
Another tempting option is just to place blame, right? Just to decide that this is an issue and I know that this is 100% on them and that alleviates me of having to deal with it, right? I mean, I know I can just push it all on you. I don't, I don't have any contribution and particularly in relationships, you know, in family relationships, in, our, in marriages or, or any of those kinds of relationships, it allows us to share our discontents and to put it all on the other person. And then we don't have to recognize that we have any part in the conflict. And, you know, there are, there are a few things, in my marriage at least, um, where I'm not a contributor, right? I mean, whenever we have problems, whenever we're upset with each other, I, I'm a big part of that. And so we, we recognize that we have something to contribute, even if, you know, sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 10-90, but we all contribute to that. And whenever we place blame, it enables us not to have to deal with that. We can even take it a step far further. Sometimes going on the attack is, uh, is tempting. And, you know, like they did something wrong and I'm going to let them know and I'm going to make them feel bad about it too, right? I mean, sometimes that's tempting and it can be really, really tempting in the moment. It can even feel good. The problem is that it doesn't help. Um, it, it ultimately sours the relationship and, it, and it, sa- it may save us from the risk of connection and vulnerability, but it doesn't help. And we don't see Jesus do that either. That's not the example that he models for us. And so uh, kind of like we talked about last week, uh, anger can be one of the things that helps us to have conviction whenever we see a situation of injustice um, that, that can arouse us to anger, can give rise to conviction. We have to be really careful that it doesn't lead us to go on the attack because that doesn't help. And yet that's tempting in the moment. And then sometimes we also we kind of, I guess really we make an excuse. We say, I want to I be nice to them, right? I don't want to tell them the truth because I want to be nice. We, we avoid it because it doesn't seem nice. And, and, you know, I've even had conversations with people who have kind of just, you know, gone off and complained about somebody else. And finally, I'm like, okay, so what did you say to them about it? They said, oh, no, I don't want to say anything to them. That wouldn't be nice. It's like, really, do you think sitting here just like telling me how awful they are is nice? That's that doesn't work. And yet, particularly, I think if you've grown up in this part of the country or in the, in the South, you know that, you know, niceness is kind of bred into us. But, but the problem with niceness, for one, it's not one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Um, kindness is, but niceness is not. What niceness is really about, it's about preserving others' opinion of me. It's, it's really about me and what other people think about me and me being able to continue to think of myself as a nice person. Kindness, on the other hand, kindness is about treating others with decency and respect. And and so sometimes to be kind to someone, we need to stop being nice to them, right? Being nice whenever they're doing something that's harming others, that doesn't help anyone. It hurts the people who is being harmed. It, It actually hurts the person who's doing the harming. Niceness in that situation is not kind, We've got to be put kindness over niceness, and especially for good church people. You know, if you grew up in the church, you know, oh, I got to be nice to everyone. Well, sometimes, sometimes being nice is unkind, and uh, and it's unclear. And as uh, we heard from Brene Brown, who overheard it at a twelve-step meeting, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And really, that's what what candor is about. It's about being clear with other people. And so what does that look like? What does candor look like in an actual situation? You know who, who gives us a, a good example of this? Surprise, you're at a worship service. We're going to talk about Jesus. Jesus gives us a great example. And so he, one night, we see this really well in a situation. He went to a dinner um, at a Pharisee's home, Simon the Pharisee. And while he was there, he was approached by a woman who was widely regarded in, uh, in, that, in that village as sinful. And so this is what we read from Luke. A woman in the city 
who was a sinner, I'm right, regarded as sinful, having learned that he was eating, that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And so there's a situation where Simon sees what is happening. This woman has approached Jesus. Um, she's essentially washing his feet with ointment and with her tears. And, uh, and he looks at her and is like, what, what is going on? She should not be touching him. She should not be approaching him. And if he were really who he says he is, if he were really a prophet, he would know that. He would not allow her to come close to him. So Simon was really uh, being judgmental, was basically rejecting someone um, on the basis of a reputation. And basically, whenever we read that someone is a sinner, it means that they're more or less cut off from the community. They're regarded as not being part of the covenant people. And, and so Jesus ha- saw this and, and knew that he needed to have a conversation with Simon about what was going on in order to correct him and to lift up the woman, not to allow her to be put down and rejected anymore. And, and so one of the, in what follows, we can see a model for how to have these kinds of conversations. And uh, so this is how to have a courageous conversation. And uh, this, this comes from Tom Berlin. He gives some really great steps for this as well. And so one of the first things that he says is begin with courtesy. Begin with courtesy. If you have to tell someone something that they might not particularly like, that doesn't mean to ha- that you have to tell them in a way that they don't particularly like, right? I mean, you can, if you start off the conversation on the wrong foot, it's probably unlikely that you're going to somehow in the course of things get back on the right foot, right? I mean, whenever someone comes up to you and just lets you know, hey, you screwed this up, like, how, what do you do? You get on the defensive, right? I mean, that's not how, you don't want to have that conversation. And so we have to start with courtesy. And, and this is what Jesus does. He said, Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so Simon had the option then to say, um, I'm trying to eat right now. Can we talk later? Or I don't want to have a conversation. He invited him. And what Simon did, he, he says, okay, he invited, he said, he accepted the invitation and had the conversation, invited him to speak. And so whenever we do that, we can practice courtesy. Whenever we're in those situations, we can practice courtesy. We can, this is what uh, Dr. John Gottman calls a gentle startup. Whenever you have to have a tough conversation with your spouse, he says, use a gentle startup. Don't just lay into them or, uh, or you will find yourself regretting that you even started the conversation. So start with courtesy. And then he says, proceed with caution. Recognize that, um, that some situations are, are pretty emotionally loaded, and so sometimes we need to, you know, step back before we can actually have a conversation well. Like whenever someone does something to you, when someone cuts you off in traffic and then you uh, realize it was the person who's on their way to the same meeting that you're at, is that a good time to have a conversation with them about it? Like, probably not. If, if, you're, if your blood is rushing, like, that's a good indication that that's maybe not the time that you need to have the conversation. In situations where we're anxious, whenever we're angry, uh, whenever we're afraid, sometimes we need to step back and recognize that, that it's not the time or the place. We also need to be mindful of who else is around us. Most of these conversations happen best whenever we're one-on-one right? I mean, particularly whenever you're dealing with family members, whenever you're dealing with your spouse or children, correcting them in public does not help them. I mean, it just brings shame and embarrassment into the equation, and that really does not help. That, that can make um, an attempt to help someone actually what results in hurting them. 
And so we've got to proceed with caution. We have to discern whether this is the right time or situation to have the conversation. And then whenever we're having the conversation, as we begin talking through it, we can look for places of agreement. Recognize that, um, that even though um, one of us may have done something that upset the other one, even though we may not agree, that we are ultimately working for the same goal, um, that there, there is common ground between us. And so this is how Jesus does that. He does that by telling a story. And so he, he tells a parable. He says, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, a denarius is about a day's wage, and so we're dealing with pretty, you know, uh, basically almost two months' income versus um, whatever, um, whatever the math is. Anyway, I can't do that in my head. Ten times as much as that. And, and so we're dealing with, with a lot of money. But if you think about it, if, if you have the two people, if someone forgives you a debt, who's, who's going to appreciate it more? The one who owed a lot, right? Uh, you know, if it's just a little bit, you appreciate it, but not quite as much. And, and so he lays this out for him. And, and Simon, what does Simon say? Simon says, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. And so found the situation, you know, what, what we actually agree on, it, what's actually going on in this situation is something that we agree on. We agree that people who, for whom more has been forgiven, more gratitude is, is evoked. We're, we're actually on the same page in this. And, and because of that, he was able then to move on to actually address the issue. And so the next step that we take is focusing on the issue. Because often, whenever, these are some, whenever we're in these situations and having the conversations, it's easy for us to think about something, you know, all of the things that have ever irritated us, right? You know, whenever, whenever you're talking to your spouse, you're like, hey, you know, if you could go ahead and put your dishes all the way in the dishwasher, um, that would be helpful. Like, that's a fine conversation if, hey, I noticed that, you know, going back to starting with courtesy, hey, you left your dish in the sink, also, you always do this, and even I remember one time you got a spoonful of peanut butter and then you licked it, and it was still like half full of peanut butter, and then you just left it on the counter. You didn't even soak it, and do you know a hard dried peanut right? I mean, have you ever had that conversation? Does that help anybody? No. I mean, has anyone ever just, oh my gosh, I realize the error in my ways. I am such a slob, and I want to change for you because you've opened, right? That's not how it works. And whenever we bring up the past, if you find yourself saying you always, or you never, or this is just like that time, it's not going to be positive. Whenever we need to have those conversations, we need to talk about what's actually at hand and not anything that's happened ever. And, and so what we notice is that whenever they have this conversation, this is, this is how it goes. Um, after they've found an area of agreement, turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And, and so he gets to the heart of the issue. It is basically Simon has not shown hospitality, and she has. Do you know what he doesn't talk about? Whether or not the woman is a sinner. He doesn't talk about her past because that's not the issue. What, whatever her status is, is not what they're talking about. What's actually happening in the room is the issue. And so that's what Jesus focuses on. And so whenever we have to have those conversations, we focus on the thing that's actually happening, that we actually um, are, are addressing in the moment, and not the distant past, not every discontent that we've ever had, just the actual issue. 
The next thing that Jesus does in this conversation is he, he gives Simon room. And we can do that too. We can give people room. And so this is how he does that. He, sa- he concludes, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. And so he offers the correction. Basically, she's showing great love. You are loving little. He doesn't say, Simon, that is you. You are awful. He doesn't say, basically, you know, kind of rubbing his face in it, but he just kind of lifts it up to him and then lets Simon, you know, kind of breathe with it, think about it, decide how he's going to respond. And whenever we're offering these connections, we don't have to demand immediate response. We don't have to demand immediate agreement. We can give them the room to process, to think, and even to respond. Uh, because people need, whenever we're accepting this kind of, whenever we're accepting this kind of feedback, whenever we're on the receiving end of these kinds of conversations, we need time to process to be able to respond well. And then the other thing that uh, Tom Brillen points out in this conversation is that throughout it, Jesus stands with the vulnerable. And who's the vulnerable person in this situation? It's the woman. It's the woman. She's the one who's been rejected by society. She's the one who's regarded as a sinner. She's the one who's being looked down upon. And so Jesus stands with her. Um, it would be easy in that situation just to kind of say, oh, you know, that's just Simon. And He doesn't do that. He actually engages. He, he doesn't let the fact that Simon is a leader in the community um, allow him to give him a pass. He doesn't just say, well, you know, it's not like they're not going to cross paths again anyway. I'll just let this go. He, he stands with the person who is vulnerable. And of course, in that scripture we read in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is quoting Isaiah, I mean, that comes from his clarity. What, what is his ministry about? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring what? Good news to the poor, to people who are vulnerable and who are hurting. And so whenever we're making the decision, you know, is this a situation that I need to speak up? Is this a conversation I need to have? We stand with the vulnerable because that's what Jesus did. And then finally, we conclude with a blessing. And so we, we actually don't know how Simon responded. We don't know what the last thing that Jesus said to him, if, if they had any more discussion afterward. We do know what Jesus said to the woman. And, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then he told her to go in peace. And, and whenever we have those hard conversations, you know, it may not go well. Sometimes they come at the end of a relationship. I mean, sometimes the hard conversation is you don't have a job here anymore. I mean, sometimes you're in a position where you have to say that. Sometimes it's, I don't want to work here anymore. Um, these conversations can be really difficult, and, and the result is not always reconciliation. But regardless of the outcome, you can always end with a blessing. You can say, you know, I know this has been a hard conversation. Thank you for sharing that. I, I know that you did not want to talk to me about this. I appreciate that you did it. Thank you for telling me this. I did not know that. And, um, you know, God go with you. God bless you. We can end with a blessing so that even whenever those conversations don't go well, there's still blessing involved. And so Jesus shows us how we can have those conversations. We also have to be careful about whether we have them. Because while candor is vital in any relationship, we have to be careful and discern which conversations to have and when. I mean, it's kind of the, the proceed with caution bit, but, you know, sharing with someone everything that they've ever done that you found irksome is not going to help them. It's not going to help you. It's not going to lead toward transformation. And uh, if someone's really worked up, if they're upset about something else that's happened, that's probably not the time to have it. We have to use discernment. And this is what Dr. Christine Pohl says about that. She says, no one speaks all the truth all the time. The practice of discernment assists us in knowing how and when 
to speak. And so we use our discernment. And, and two things, you, there are two things that you can ask that may guide you in that. One of those is what's at stake? You know, what's at stake? And, and so if you, if you see me um, in the gathering space after worship and I've got something in my teeth, I hope that you will tell me. What's at stake is that I'll stand up in another service and again have something in my teeth. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I always appreciate feedback like that. Now, if you tell me every word that I said that was incorrect in, in the service, um, in the entire sermon, that's probably not going to help me. And that's the second question. Is it helpful? Is it something that they can receive? Will, will it lead to any kind of transformation? Or am I, am I just kind of, you know, just wanting to get something off of my chest? And so those two questions, what's at stake and, and is it helpful, can help us to discern when is the right time for us to have those conversations. Because they are vital, but the way and the circumstances under which we have them determine whether or not they will ultimately lead to growth or not. And, and so we want to have these conversations, we want to have them while we want to live lives that are characterized by candor. And one of the ways that we can do that is if we want to be people who can have these conversations, who can have them well, who can um, give people things that they can receive, if we, want to, if we expect others to accept our candor, we have to be willing to receive it as well, right? I mean, it's not just, I, I need to tell everyone the truth, the unvarnished truth, and they can't tell me anything. It doesn't work like that, right? I mean, if, if you expect your spouse to listen to you whenever you tell them things that are hard, then you better be willing to, to listen to them as well. It doesn't work otherwise. And so we have to be willing to receive it. We have to have the self-awareness to, to pay attention, to think through those things. We have to have the grace to be able to receive if we want to be able to give. And whenever we do that in our relationships, whenever we have those kinds of conversations, it can allow us to let go of victimhood. Whenever we're, we're willing to have the conversations that normally we avoid, and no longer, we're no longer in a situation where they just always do this, and, and I, I, I wish they would stop. We can actually have the conversation and say, look, whenever you do this, I find that hurtful. Or, you know, whenever you do this, it, it hurts our, our company. Whatever, you know, whatever it is, we can actually stop just saying, oh, I wish they would stop. I wish they would read my mind or, or I can't do anything. We can actually claim our agency in order to move forward. We can also let go of the need to control and always be right. Because whenever we share these things, the, the, the thing is ultimately not, I need them to know that I'm right. That is not a helpful attitude to have in a conversation, right? I mean, there's something that I need to share. It's, it's, we're not responsible for how people accept it. Now, we want to share it in a way that's helpful that, that they can actually respond to, but, but whether or not they, they accept what we're saying, we, we, it's on us to share it. It's on them how they respond to it. And, and so we can let go of that need to control. We can recognize what, what I need to do in this relationship is, is I need to speak this truth. And uh, as far as how they receive it, I can't control that. And uh, it's nice to harbor the illusion that we can control other people, but we're a lot happier whenever we can let go of that. Because does anyone in here have other control? If you raise your hand, put it down. For the online folks, nobody raise their hand. Because none of us have that. We're doing well whenever we have self-control. We can't control others. And if we, manage, if we are able to grow in this, to have courage in our conversations and in our relationships, it can transform us, it can transform the people around us, and it can transform the world. If you learn to have a conversation well, a true word spoken in the right way at the right time can change someone's life. It might be as simple as helping them not do something stupid and get fired from their next job. It might be a lot more consequential than that as well. 
And so here's some action steps I want to challenge you to take this week. First, um, you know, it can be daunting whenever we think about every conversation that we we've ever had or that we need to have and all that we've been putting off, particularly if you're like me and you tend to want to avoid those if you can, start small. Practice in small ways, having those courageous conversations. You know, one, cur- one conversation, one thing that we have to say that requires courage, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking that just about everyone of us in here has, can look at the last week and think of a situation that probably um, that demands that we say, I'm sorry. You know, another hard conversation that, uh, that we have to have sometimes, I was wrong. I was wrong. That's not an easy thing to say, but, but it's vital. We have to be able to have candor in that situation too. Because really, I mean, candor is not just whenever you need to tell other people that they've done something wrong. It's whenever we need to admit that we've done something wrong as well. And then finally, having the courage to ask for what we need, saying this is what I need right now. This is what I need in our relationship. I need you to put the dishes away sometimes. I don't know if y'all can tell that sometimes I struggle with dishes, but... Uh, But we need to, and it's hard sometimes, right? I mean, they should know. They should be able to read my mind and know everything that I need. That's what we think. But if we want people to actually give us what we need, if we want them to treat us in the way that we want to be treated, we've got to ask. We've got to be able to say, this is what I need. And then think through what are some of the conversations that you've been putting off, that you've been avoiding, and have one this week. You know, you you may not do it perfectly. You probably won't. I think it's probably rare that anyone has a perfect conversation. I don't know. I, don't, I rarely walk out of a conversation. I'm like, man, nailed that. But, uh, but, but we need to try. And uh, we can take time to pray about it. We can take time to you know, ensure that, that we're in the right place, that, that we have the right intentions, and that we're doing it in a way that's going to be helpful to the other person. But uh, ultimately, we've got to pull the trigger. Ultimately, we've got to have those conversations if we're ever going to grow. And if we want to have relationships that are capable of being deep and sustaining and meaningful. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful that that you give us people in our lives that we have the privilege of going through life with, people in our families, our friends, people we go to school with, people at work. And God, you know that sometimes those relationships are tough. And so we ask that you would help us to have courage. You'd help us to, to... Act toward them in a way that builds them up, that speaks the truth, and that is honest, and ultimately that treats them in the way that Jesus calls us to. We thank you for his example that he shows us how to do it, and we thank you that he taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.